Well, good morning. This morning's gospel passages are wonderful, all of them. The Old Testament, which was Acts, the Psalm, the Revelation, passages in John. But I'm really drawn to this passage in Acts today. Paul's on his missionary journeys. He's been on his missionary journeys the past couple of weeks, going from church to church and seeing wonderful things happen. And Acts 16, it begins with one story, and that story gets Paul thrown smack dab in prison. And while there, the most wonderful thing happens. You know, you think about going to prison, you think, ah, not, not, he's in prison, he's going to behave himself. Not Paul. He makes the best of it. He makes a little lemonade out of his lemon situation, if you will. And he's not in a fancy prison like we have today. Not that they're fancy, but you know what I mean, that you didn't get three square. He didn't have a room with air conditioner or heat, and he didn't have a proper restroom. He had a cell down in the middle of a cave, probably, stinky and smelly and cold and wet. No bed or pillow or blanket. But there he and Silas break into song. Verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone in chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke, he saw the prison doors wide open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. I mean, why would they not have? But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights. And rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them outside and said, verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a great question. They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your entire household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At that same hour of the night, he took them and he washed their wounds. And then he entered, family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. I'm also reminded that when you read this, it's just this massive, wonderful thing happening. God uses the most amazing things to draw people to himself. The most unusual circumstances. This was just a prisoner, I mean a jailer, minding his own business. And out of the blue, God opened his ears and his heart to hear the good news of the gospel. You see it all through Scripture. I'm reminded of the story over in Mark 10, verse 17. You have that story of the rich young ruler. And he comes all pompous and chest out and runs to Jesus, and the crowds are watching him, and he loves the, the drama, and he falls down at Jesus' feet, and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Another great question, similar to the one above, sir, what must I do to be saved? He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm not going to preach this passage, but you know the story. Jesus says, well, why do you call me good? 
Not God, only God is good. Are you trying to say that I'm God? It was a subtle question, subtle jab, if you will. Then he said, you know what to do. You're a good Jewish boy. Go keep the commandments. And the boy said, but teacher, I, I've, I've done that. I've kept the rules. I've tried to be a good Jewish boy. I've gone to synagogue. I've followed the rules. I've kept the Sabbath to the best of my ability, and yet there's still something missing right here. What must I do? Tell me, just tell me what you want out of my possessions. You can have it all. Just tell me what you want. And Jesus said, okay, this is about you. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and then come. Take up your cross and follow me all the way to Calvary, where you too can be nailed on a cross. And the scripture says the boy's face fell because he had great wealth. He went away sad. He wasn't willing to count the cost. Sell everything? Everything? So he went away sad. It reminds me of the story over in John 3 of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a wealthy Pharisee. He was known. He had clout and popularity. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council and he heard about this Messiah, this Jesus that was in his village. And I can only imagine, the story doesn't tell us, but he must have been lying awake because in the wee hours of the night, it says that he snuck to where Jesus was. And it says he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing without him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And Nicodemus says, how can someone be born when he is old? Again, another great question. What must I do to be saved? How can I inherit eternal life? How can I be born again? Surely they cannot enter the second time into their mother's womb. And Jesus begins at this point to explain it. What salvation is all about. And he uses natural elements of wind and he uses a common term of rebirth. When a child comes out, it's a new creation. When you are baptized in the waters of baptism and you come out the other side, you are a new creation in Christ. Being born again was a common phrase used in biblical days. And he goes on to probe and to ask. And Jesus continues to open the scriptures for him. And then we have that wonderful passage there towards the end, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Nicodemus, that whoever believes in him, that counts you, Nicodemus, you won't perish, but you'll have eternal life. Nicodemus was convinced it was something he had to do. He was convinced it was about following the rules. He was convinced it was about being a good boy. And Jesus goes on in verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to save the world through himself. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Friends, all of these stories, all three of them, have a different question, but it's all the same question when you get down to the root of it. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? How can someone be born again? 
All three of these people were looking for something to fulfill the hole in their heart, the God-shaped hole in their heart. And we humans try all kinds of things to fill it. We try success and education and religion, and when that doesn't work, we try to make a lot of money so we can buy more things, maybe gain some popularity, and when all else fails, well, then we turn to our vices. And we feel empty, hopeless. And it's not until we come to the end of trying that we find true hope, lasting hope, in and through one thing, God's Son. That's what the Scriptures teach us. And that is where the sweetness of the Gospel comes in. And Paul was brilliant at sharing it. He was a true evangelist, and I use that word not as a pejorative, which has become in the past 10 years, but the reality is this, unless someone tells us the gospel, an evangelist, and our hearts are opened and our minds are open and our ears can hear the word of the Holy Spirit, it will never take hold. And the people I talk to about above Two of them, their ears and their hearts were open. Unfortunately, for one of them, it wasn't. The rich young ruler, the second one, he wanted to buy his way into heaven. He wanted to give the Lord something, but not everything. And what he missed out on was that Jesus really didn't want his stuff. He didn't want any of his stuff. He simply wanted him. And if he would have just stayed around a little bit longer without sulking and throwing his head down and going away sad with his mind focused only on his wealth, he would have learned that Jesus was going to take that cross and carry it for him, go all the way to Calvary and die and pay the full price. But he missed that. One of Paul's missionary journeys was to Rome. It's where we get the book of Romans. And in fact, he spent a lot of time in Rome. He got in a lot of trouble in Rome even went to jail while in Rome because of his zeal for the gospel. And while there, sitting in a Roman cell, he wrote this letter, and he wrote some wonderful verses that actually paint the clearest picture of what the gospel is, of what salvation is, of how you answer those three questions above. You want to know how to be saved? Want to know how to be born again? I know how to inherit eternal life. Paul spells it out. Some people have referred to this as the Romans road, Paul's way of telling the Romans how to be saved. He starts in Romans 3:23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us in here knows if we're honest with ourselves that things just aren't right in here. And for some of us those things are louder than others, me included. It's more out front, it's more obvious, our sin, our rebellion, our bad behavior. Others of us, we got our acts together a little bit more, and perhaps we're a little more religious. Again, I don't check that box, but maybe you do. But regardless, every one of us knows, regardless of how good we are or how bad we are, that something's not right in here. Why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But, and this is a big but, that didn't come out right, 
but it's a good but. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, not after we got our acts together, but in the midst of our mess, right smack dab in the middle of our screw-ups, Christ died for us. You say, why did he have to die? That sounds so harsh. I don't like it when ministers and churches talk about the cross and the death and all that stuff. Well, we have to, because it is through his death, burial, and resurrection that you and I are offered the greatest news in the world. It's where our hope comes from. Someone, something, had to die. In Jewish law, it had to be a sacrifice of an animal. And regularly, you had to come to the temple and sacrifice your goat or your lamb or your bull or whatever it might be. And that blood shed out over that altar is what washed you clean. But then Jesus came on the scene. Romans 6.23 goes on to say, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our sins require punishment. We deserve the punishment, but God loves us so much that he put our punishment on his son to pay the price. Remember the story of Nicodemus just a moment ago, where that great verse, John 3, 16, came alive? For God so loved the world that he willingly gave his only begotten son Whosoever believeth on him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. You say, that's not fair. Why did God have to give his son to such horrible situation? What do I need to do? How could I pay him back? If Jesus really came to do what you're saying he did, that's just not fair. And surely there's a part that I need to play. Surely there's something I must do. Listen, don't buy into the trap of the rich young ruler that there's some way you can pay him back or you can give something to him. He doesn't want anything except you. And Romans 10.9 speaks to that. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He didn't say you might be saved. You will be saved. How did the jailer in Acts become saved? Through belief in the same is true for us. It's through belief in Jesus. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life, declares the Lord. John 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him not through anything else, to save the world through him. Verse 18 goes on, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, who we know is Jesus. And then Romans 10, 13 goes on to say, and it's a massive stamp of affirmation, and it's, it's an exclamation point, if you will, Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, period. You want hope today? You want forgiveness today? You want salvation today? You want to leave here 
with your conscience clean and your guilts erased. Simply invite Jesus into your heart. Simply confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And he'll take away your sin. He'll forgive you. And he'll invite you to his home. In fact, he'll immediately invite you to the table of grace. Once again, we'll receive from him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.